Thank you. So really the moral of the story is that total dependence on God and that you trust in him with all your heart, you lean not to your own understanding, and he's going to lead and direct it. And so um, Amen. I'm just watching some things, and they're not really what I feel that are the right things, but I, I have no control over. That's right, Ben. You know, I imagine Job probably felt that way a lot, you know, when he was going through the, the things that he was going through because he, he didn't know that, that the enemy, the devil, was talking to the Lord and, and uh, the Lord was saying, have you considered my servant Job? And the enemy begins to make, false, make accusations of Job and says, oh, yeah, he serves you because you bless him. And he allowed the devil to do some things. But Job didn't know what was going on all that time. You know, he was just walking in faith. And that's what we walk in. We walk by faith, not by sight. We may not see... Uh, what's going on but we see the end of the story and the end of the story is is that we're going to be in the kingdom of God with our Lord and we're going to and we're living by faith in him and we're going to persevere that's what faith is all about is moving in those things in the Lord uh, not really knowing but being certain of our Savior our Lord that he is directing our path Proverbs 3 5 and 6 says trust in the Lord with all your heart don't lean on your own understanding don't try to figure it out but in all your ways acknowledge him and he, will, he promises that he will direct your path. So that's what you want to do in your life. But we, and we know there's promises for those that walk in Christ, that are walking in righteousness and walking in, in really loving the Lord. And he says, and we know that all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And we know that we have those things that we ask of the Lord because we keep his commandments. But, and we lift up people because it's the good, the Bible says in Romans 2, it's the goodness of God to lead a man to repentance. So we want, we pray the Lord, lead them to repentance, whatever it takes. And sometimes when we, when we say that, though, Toki will say, with our children, we'll say, Lord, whatever it takes, wake them up. Then when the Lord starts doing things in their lives, to wreck their lives, we're like, Lord, help them out. Don't, don't let them go through. But the Lord knows what he's doing. When we trust in the Lord and ask the Lord, just, just, just take care and, and, and uh, we, we turn it over to you and we submit it to you and we, and we tr- just trust in the Lord with everything. Praise the Lord. But that's, that's right, Ben, in, in that respect of uh, your son, everybody has their own choice. And uh, you can't make a choice for somebody else. That's right. The Lord's not going to make anybody do anything. He's very gentle, very kind. And, and it's up to you and it's up to me to make our choice whether we're going to walk with the Lord or not. And it is sometimes very grieving. It is, it is grieving, period. Not sometimes, it is grieving to see those reject the truth and going about their own ways. But we know also that we were going our own ways at one time. And the Lord used things in our lives to turn things around. And here we are today serving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thanks be to God that he did that for us and, and allowed us to be awakened and uh, us to come out of what we're in. Uh, something that's been on my heart I just want to touch on just a little bit before we get started in the book of Revelation does anybody else have anything first before I begin uh, and, yes sir I, I want to make it brief uh, it, I'm here today I was super tired I almost didn't make it because I felt, almost fell asleep several times but I wanted to come thank the Lord so bad and I know I like to be with your brothers but what I, what I want to say is the other day, I had a cleaning lady down there. We really have a cleaning lady, but she come and helped me clean the living room and kitchen. And uh, at the end of the day, it had been a long day. And she was getting hot. The air conditioner stopped working. It, uh, we had to put the windows open for a while, but anyhow, it, 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 it wouldn't work anymore. 
and the leader there. I called the man that I did a job for him, putting a storm door in a break room. And uh, he does air conditioning work. And I, I didn't charge him. It would have been about $100. I didn't charge him. He gave him old air conditioning. And I just let it sit like that. And then I called him. And I left him a message. He was not there. Mm-hmm. I left him a message telling him, look, uh, Brett, his name is Brett. Tell me, man. I said, if you could possibly help you, I don't want you to feel like you owe me. But if you could come check it out, or maybe take the old one and we could t- check it out. And uh, if you could, if it's on your heart to help me, I would appreciate it. But don't feel obligated. And he called me back the next day and said he was out of town. But when I was telling him that, it, I was heavy heart, but I felt the spirit of God. I had tears in my eyes. I wasn't broke down completely, but I was, in a way. Mm-hmm. And and uh, all of a sudden, I heard click. The compressor came on. And it went and come on <laughs> Praise the Lord. And I knew. Hey, air conditioning is important in Louisiana. <laughs> it my cry. Amen. I told that God that I didn't want him to feel like he had to do this for me. And the thing about it, God honored that. Amen. I know that's what what you meant. sow is what you reap. And Amen. That's good. That's good. And, it, and my truck should have been a thousand dollars right now. It's in the shop. And a good friend of mine, it should have been a thousand or more. And I said, how much I'm holding? Three hundred. Praise the Lord. I know you had all those trucks that broke at one time. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Lord. So, you know, that's good. Well, that's good. But I want you to share that with you. That's good. Amen. Testified before the it's Lord, what the Lord has done for you. Amen. Good. Oh, Matt, you you had something, brother? You came on? Go ahead. Can you hear me? You're a little low. Turn your, turn your mic up a little bit if you can. Or get closer to the mic. You're a little low. Okay. Is this better? Yeah. Can you help him on that, Cedric? Can you get him any louder? Oh, hold on, hold on. I'll get you louder. Uh, okay. Okay, good. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, this is better? Much better. Okay, awesome. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, wanted to comment on what Ben had said because that's, that's something that kind of goes in my mind a lot. And what gives me a lot of encouragement is uh, Hebrews chapter 5. And I know we're familiar with the, the verses, but where it talks about Jesus. You know, Hebrews 5. The of his flesh. He was offering up prayers and supplications uh, with behemoth cries for the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his godly fear. And verse 8 especially sticks out to me because it says, Though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And of course, we know Jesus was never disobedient. He obeyed his entire life. But God even saw fit for his own son to endure suffering, to learn even more obedience. And so if that was the case, I mean, we're familiar with Gethsemane, him agonizing the garden, and he did what... Paul wrote in Philippians uh, 4, 6 through 7, many years later, that, you know, he, he with thanksgiving and prayer, he offered his, his requests up to God, and, and God took care of him. And so, to me, if Jesus had to learn obedience through suffering, then how much more do, do we, those of us that, in the past, we had sinned and we had broken our connection with, with our Heavenly Father. So, and that always encourages me when I think of uh, what Ben was talking about. 
Amen. Amen. That's encouraging. I'm being praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. You sharing that, brother. Praise the Lord. Anybody else have something on your heart? Um, I, I want to share something that's been on my heart. Um, I've just been meditating, just looking at it real closely, and I want you to understand. Uh, Wes and I are getting ready to uh, come out with a video. I think we're going to do that pretty soon, Wes, uh, on, on repentance uh, defined by the Scriptures. Defin- the repentance defined by the Scriptures is a departing from sin. It's not just a change of mind, but it's a departing of sin. And I want, I want you to turn with me, a very familiar scripture to you guys, but I want to go one verse a little bit further in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You're very familiar with 7, most of you are, because you've heard me minister on it, and you've heard others speak on it many, many times. It's, it's a very important scripture because it, it, it relates how salvation is attained, which is very and extremely important in every one of our lives. Today what's happening is people are, and, and, and false ministers uh, who come and come to you in sheep's clothing, but him really raving and wolves? They're teaching that you come forward and you get salvation, and then you repent. But that's not the way the Scripture teaches it. The Scripture teaches the opposite: that He doesn't save you in your sin, but He saves you from your sin, like in Matthew one twenty one. So here we see an outlined order that God has of how this of how salvation takes place in a person. And the way it's outlined is the first thing that must take place, according to Second Corinthians seven ten, is godly sorrow is the first thing that happens to a person. And I want to explain what that is, and I want to explain what repentance is, and, and by the scripture a little bit. I'm just going to touch on a little bit, and Wesley is coming out with a video on it. I want everyone to get that because it's going to be very, very help, helpful to you and to others. But it says here that godly sorrow works repentance. So a brokenness, a godly sorrow brings you forth to repentance. The repentance is a turning from your sin, a departure from sin. And then the person receives salvation at that point, not before then. Now we have all the world out there, the worldly church, the worldly system out there that has got this thing so mixed up, it's just a total mess. Because they've got salvation coming in before repentance. They got it backwards. So what you end up with is you end up with a bunch of people still living in their sin because they realize, they think, well, I'm saved in my sin. So if I keep sinning, it doesn't really matter because I was already saved. So there's no point in ever repenting. You can just uh, keep sinning and, you, and you're saved because you pr- prayed some prayer. That's not so. And that's what we come against because that's what the Bible comes against, not because of us personally. But it says godly sorrow works repentance to salvation and salvation not to be repented of. Some people believe, well, they use First, first John chapter 2 and they say, well, we have an advocate the Father so I can sin, then I can repent. I can sin and then I can repent. Well, the Bible says that when you receive the salvation, it's not to be repented of. It's not to go back. It's not that the, the Bible doesn't say when you sin in First John chapter 2 verse 1, verse 2, uh, it says, but if you sin, you have an advocate to follow that. That's not something that's supposed to happen because repentance is what? It's turning from your sin. It's, from, it's it, you stopping sin. It's a departure from sin. So it wouldn't be that you're going back and forth, back and forth. If repent means I've, I've repented of somebody, you got somebody who says, well, I'm repenting today and then they go back and do it the next time I'm repenting today. No, you're asking for sorrow. You're asking for forgiveness. That the, the repentance is different. Or repentance is a change of life. Like in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are past. 
and all things that become new. Just like Galatians 5.24 where he talks about those that are Christ have put to death the affections and the, and the passions of the flesh. They've done that. It's done. It's not something that's set up for the future. We are to walk in holiness and righteousness and morally before God. But I want to look at verse 11 tonight a little bit, if we could, before we go to the book of Revelation. In verse 11, uh, it says here, For behold this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sorrow. He's explaining what godly sorrow is here, what they did, what demonstrated godly sorrow in a person's life. And this is how godly sorrow works. So, because this is important to know so that you know that you come to repentance. Because godly sorrow does what? It leads to repentance. So it's important to know what godly sorrow is really all about. Here's what it's about. He says, what carefulness. Carefulness is almost like be careful for nothing in, in Philippians 4. But it's, here it is, carefulness here of having an anxiousness to really get things right with God. Like I've got to be, I, I want to be careful that I do this right. I want to make sure that I get everything out of my heart. What, what carefulness it wrought in you? Yea, what clearing of yourselves. To be, to be clear, not have, to have a conscious void of offense, to clear everything out, all sin, to get it all cleared out from you. Uh, then it says, yea, what indignation. Indignation means a brokenness, a contrite spirit, a real crying out to God, really broken. Like it says in Psalms 50, 51, it, it says that a humble and contrite spirit the Lord will in no wise cast out. Then he says, yea, what fear, fear of being afraid that I'm going to go before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to stand there before me. Like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that says that all, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for those things done in our body, whether it be good or evil. A fear of like, man, I got to make it. I, I, I fear standing before God if sin is my life and I'm not going to make it to heaven. I got to really, and, and you need, and, and, and if a person hasn't done this yet, I want you to examine this in your life. If the Lord put a, put it, say, put his finger on something in your life. He's done that with me in the past. And, he, and he's put a finger on something and says, don't do that anymore. And then you, you like, uh, okay, Lord, or say you didn't do it. And then all of a sudden your heart begins to grow callous. There should be a fear there of like, I'm not going to make it. Your heart's not right with God because look what's coming out of your life. And that you don't let your heart get callous, callous, but you have these things where you repent from that thing. And these things, so you cry out to God, oh God, I've got to get this right, God. I've got to get this clearing. I've got to have this indignation, this broken contrite before you, Lord. I've got to get it right. Yea, what vehement desire. Man, I've got to have this. A vehement desire. Not just the desire, but a great swelling desire to get your heart right with God. People need this. They need to have that kind of repentance to have their salvation. It's not a little dilly-dally thing like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Thank you, Lord. Go on, blah, blah, blah. No, he said, Paul is saying, man, I saw what was happening when you guys truly had godly sorrow. You had a vehement desire to get your life right with God, to turn away from sin, to really repent he says, yea, what zeal. You had a real zeal. What is zeal? Zeal is the like, i got to have it. Yeah, I'm going forward with it. I'm going to make this move to get it right. Yea, what revenge. You'll revenge me? It means when you're repenting, you're thinking about, well, all the people I hurt. How can I help them? How can I go back and, and pay back those things that I did? How can I make amends for, the, for my brother that I offended? Let me go get the, all that right. This is repentance. This is what repentance is all about, is coming to that place. 
It's not some little dilly-dally thing. Some people say, well, repentance may take a day or it may take a year. Yeah, then that's true. But it's all dependent on you. If you really take this and you do this, because you know what? Today's the day of salvation, the Lord said. Now's the acceptable time. You don't put that off. When the Lord puts his finger on something, or you see something in your life, don't think, well, I'm going to just put it off. Because you know what's going to happen? We talked about it this morning in 1 Timothy 4. It says that you, 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 you sear your conscience with a hot iron. You callous your heart because you don't, you don't continue on it. Go ahead, Wes. Yeah, a lot of people, like, like what you're saying, they, they don't understand that uh, it's repentance for salvation. Like uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, I don't know if I can actually share this real quick, because we're going to do our video, but um, if you see in, uh, in Acts chapter 11, it kind of goes along the same. Do you see me still? Acts chapter 11? repentance right make it make make it turn thank you wesley for those words okay anybody else have anything to say about that we can go on and on in repentance i know we've talked about it a lot if, if not i'm going to go into revelation chapter one you're ready ready for revelation chapter one ready to get in the book of revelation all right the revelation of the lord jesus christ from that is written by john a very controversial book by a lot of people um we're going to read through we're going to read and go through the book of revelation and uh and see what the Lord reveals to us. Um, we're going to read it literally, and we're going to take it, and we're going to get different people's uh, perspectives. And that's okay if somebody doesn't uh, 
see it the way somebody else sees it. Because as time goes on, the book of Revelation will be more and more revealed to us as we see things unfold. Uh, I think that we're seeing things unfold right before our eyes right now. Uh, we have in, uh, in Revelation chapter 13, we have a, a, a mark of the beast that says when you, if anybody takes that mark on their hand or forehead, they won't be able to buy, sell, or trade anything. I can see how that is beginning to start work, uh, if that be a, a literal mark. It talks about now days that you can't go in, in stores without a, um, a, a mask on. You can't buy or sell anything or trade anything in that, in that store now. I understand that they're trying to make it where if you, t- if, if you don't take this vaccine and show that you take this vaccine, that you won't be able to buy or sell or trade anything. So we're seeing some things unfold. We're seeing some things that uh, are happening in our, t- our lifetime, uh, Lynn and, and, uh, and Tookie, that, uh, and some of you guys, older guys, that we've seen uh, early on that we, we would never thought that we'd live in a day that where such uh, unlawful deeds are, are happening in the world like they are today. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing what we're seeing. But anyway, let's go to the book of Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to read and we're going to stop and we're going to discuss and we're going to go through it and uh, enjoy the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel and his servant John. And the first thing you're going to see that's shortly coming to pass is John's going to be writing a letter to seven churches. Uh, with, and the Lord's going to be telling him what to say to those churches. And he says, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. So he's bearing record of things that, he, that the Lord showed him and, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is he that read, readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Uh, we re- if you go back to Revelation chapter 22, it will tell you that whoever adds to it, takes away from the words of this prophecy, prophecy shall have their part in the lake of fire. So we don't want to add to it or take away for sure. We want to stick to what the Word of God says and let the Word of God speak for itself. John, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Jill and I were talking about that today. These seven churches are really, uh, most of them in in Turkey. But at the time, Asia actually included Turkey as well. So all that area was considered uh, Asia. But the the churches were actually in Turkey, which was part of Asia during that time. It says, Grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come. Who is that? Jesus is present with us. He was. Because he was in the past, 2,000 years ago, and he is to come. He's coming back, is what the scripture says. And from the seven spirits which are before the throne. And you're going to hear more about these seven spirits that are appointed to the seven churches that he's writing to. And verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. He was the first one to be raised from the dead. And in that, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we have hope in him because as Christ was raised, we shall be raised also. For if Christ was not raised, we have no hope and our faith is in vain. So Christ was raised from the dead, resurrected, and we will be resurrected also with with him and be seated with him in heavenly places as we are. It says, and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Thank God. It was his blood and his blood only that there's remission of sins. Acts 4.12 says there's salvation in no other name but in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Because there could never be a lamb that could be spotless enough to take sins away, as it says in Hebrews 10. But the Lamb of God himself, Jesus Christ, died and suffered death and shed his blood for the remission of our sins. So that all our past sins would be washed away. And so we have no record of the past. Our sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. It's as though you had never sinned before when they were all washed away. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. I don't want to have any of those old sins that I did come up anymore. I want them to be gone once and for all. I don't want to have none of that. And he said, he, I've been washed. I've been made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. By, by uh, repenting and, and uh, coming to the Lord and having received the salvation. And it had made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. You're, both, you're kings and priests in Christ. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 2 also, that you're a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a, a, a people called out of the nation that God has put his, his, his uh, he lives within you if you're walking in righteousness and walking in the Lord. But the Father and the Son is living. You are the temple of God. You are the kings and priests of God. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. I want you to notice that. He said it when he's, he's talked about it. He said he, he is, he was, and he's coming back. And now he's saying that he's coming in the clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. So to notice that, that he's coming back in the clouds. Let's go through to a couple of scriptures that will refer this and also talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ of what's going to actually happen. Uh, let's first of all go back to uh, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, uh, Luke chapter 21, uh, Mark chapter 13 are all speaking of basically the same thing and the coming of the Lord. Uh, they, Jesus is asked three questions in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, by the disciples. He is, the disciples are showing him the beautiful buildings in Jerusalem and how wonderfully they were built in the temple and so forth. And the Lord spoke to them and said in verse 24, verse 2, Jesus said to them, See, see you not all these things? Verily I say to you, there shall not be one, here one stone upon another that shall be thrown down. And we know that in 70 AD, that very well did happen. It was all thrown down. So his disciples are going to ask him a question there in verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, what shall th- when shall these things be of the falling down of that, that temple and the, those stones being fall, all fallen to the ground? A number one question. Number two question, what shall be the sign of your coming? Which is number two. And the third question, and what about the end of the world? So the Lord answers all three questions in Matthew chapter 24 of what he was asked. And uh, that's why a lot of people get sometimes Matthew 24 somewhat mixed up because they're trying to decipher those three events that take place. One happened in 70 AD. Well, well, some some people believe that everything happened in 70 AD, that uh, the Lord came back, that uh, basically revelation was fulfilled and, and everything was happening. It happened then. And, uh, uh, and but, but we see here that things are yet to come. Um, so he goes on down, and I want you, we're talking about the, coming back to the clouds, and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. And uh, it says here, verse, uh, we'll start at verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. We'll be going back to that scripture later when we get to Revelation chapter 6. It talks about that time, and it also talks about that in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Peter brought it up because it, 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 that was in the latter days started. But then it says in verse 30, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So you see, they seeing the Son, the, Jesus coming in the clouds in his glory. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter four and verse 16. He says, "For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall, ri- shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them where." In the clouds. Remember he said he's coming back in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. So he's talking about there. About Jesus coming back in the clouds. Everybody's going to see him in the clouds. And he also said even those that pierced him. Shall see him. Go to Zechariah. Zechariah is one of the last books in the Old Testament. And we'll go to verse to chapter twelve. He's speaking about when all all come against Jerusalem uh, to fight against Israel, and it says in verse nine, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. And of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is bitter in bitterness for his firstborn. So we see here that even Israel's going to see the Lord, and they're going to mourn. They're going to see the one that they pierced. They're going to see the one that they hung on the cross. And they're going to cause a godly sorrow to come upon him. And, and a, remnant will, a remnant of them will, will come to, to know the Lord. So let's go back and we can show you more scriptures of the coming of the Lord. But we have many scriptures. Jesus talked about this a, a, very, a whole lot throughout the scriptures. But we just, I just wanted to stop there just a minute and give that. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 1 and we'll go to verse 8. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord. So he is the beginning, he is the end, which is, which was, and which is to come. He says that again, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Looking at history, uh, many of the disciples, Peter, Paul, all of them uh, got martyred. They, they, were, they, were, they died for, the, for their faith in Christ. Um, and they went to kill John from the understanding of history. If you read the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs or Josephus. And he talks about what happened with John is they threw him in boiling oil. And it didn't kill him. 
So they took him and they put him on this little isle called the Isle of Patmos. So he's on the Isle of Patmos. He says, I'm a, he says, I'm a companion with you in your tribulation. Um, that reminds me, go to the book of Acts. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter, um, I think it's chapter 14 or 15. Let me see. Acts chapter um, 14, I think. Yeah, Acts chapter 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to, the, to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. That's where, where, where Paul had gone through a tremendous beatings and he was left for dead and they prayed over him and he rose from the dead. And he said, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. You see, Ben, we're going to go through much tribulation to enter the kingdom. It's not going to be just a smooth walk. You have to lose your life to have life. You know, if you're not, going, if you're not suffering godly and persecution, then something's wrong. You're just not living it. Because when you live it, you, you suffer some persecution. That's normal. That's the norm for a Christian. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 1. So John is going through some, some pretty hellish things that he's been through. He's on this little island now, and the Lord is, in, is uh, taking him into spirit. He says, I was in the spirit, verse 10, on the Lord's day, day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Well, who's the Alpha and the Omega? Remember, we saw that up in verse 7, I mean, verse 8. Jesus is the Alpha Omega and Omega. And the last, Omega and the last, and without, what you see right in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and also Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and looking as I turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. You'll find out later that the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches he's writing to. Yeah, Ben? Seven spirits, seven candlesticks. Seven churches. I mean, is there something going on with the number seven? Well, you know, the, the seventh day God rested, so it, it could be, but it, it's, it you know, it doesn't really signify that. Okay. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, Jesus was standing in the midst of them, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as flame as fire, and his feet like the fine brass as they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sounds of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength, glorious. And when I, fell, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as one dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying to me, don't be scared. Fear not. I am the first and the last. Thank you, Lord. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And we sung the song. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Who's got the keys of hell and death? Who's got the power of that? That's why I say listen to what Jesus said. Remember he said in Luke 6, 47, he said, why do you call me Lord? Do not the things that I say. I want to listen to what Jesus says. He's got the keys of hell and death in his hands. Amen. Write the things which that you, you've seen, the things which are, the things which shall be hereafter. So write them down, John, he says to John. 
The Mishra secret of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven spirits, or messengers, angels, uh, which are the seven, seven stars. And the seven golden stand, candlesticks, which you saw, are the seven churches. So there's seven spirits, there's seven messengers to the churches, and there's seven churches he's writing to. We're going to go through all seven churches from chapter 1 to chapter 3. So we're ready to begin in chapter 2. Amen? Everybody ready? Any questions so far? Pretty clear. Okay. Unto the church, unto the angel, the messenger of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. That's Christ. Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, the churches. I know your works. And, la- and your labor. Now keep in mind, when we're reading the book of Revelation, I've looked at a lot of different uh, studies, somewhat history of it, to find out when, what, when the date was when John was on the Isle of Patmos and writing this book. Most contend that this book was written, written somewhere around 92 to 96 AD. So it was supposedly, one of, supposedly the last book written of the New Testament, and no wonder they have it as posted as the last book. So in looking at that, a lot of people want to change that or try to wake away where it comes, where it actually is between 68 and 70 AD because they want to put the book of Revelation before, uh, before the temple was destroyed, before the things that we saw in Matthew 24, and they know that happened in 70 AD, so they want to put it before that to make it look like it's already taken place. But actually, I believe from what history tells us is it was written around 92 AD. Now, being that Jesus is, this is the thing that gets me about today. Jesus is speaking here about the seven churches. And people are saying today that you don't, you don't need to worry about your works. Your works don't count for anything. They're filthy rags. They're no good. You don't need to have any works. It doesn't matter what you do. It's faith alone. You just need to believe in the finished work of, of, of Christ. This is Christ speaking. And he's telling them, I know your work. And your labor. Oh no, you're supposed to just rest. You're not supposed to do anything. And, and your patience. And how you, you, you do not bear them which are evil. You don't hang, you don't hang out with those that are, that are in sin. And that you try them which say they're apostles. And they're really not apostles. And ha- found them to be liars. We see that today. He said, you've seen. You've looked at their fruit. You know, remember we read in, in Matthew chapter 7. A good tree cannot what? Bring forth corrupt fruit, neither can a corrupt good fruit. So you know them by their fruit. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11 to beware of those that, that, that come to you that, as ministers of righteousness, but they're really, they're really ministers of the devil. Because why? Because the Bible says in 1 John 2, 2, 3 and 8 that if you sin, you of the devil. So we see this, and they recognize that, and he said they found them that were saying they were they were pastors saying they were preachers, but he found that they were liars. Because why? Because a preacher is supposed to be blameless, supposed to be walking in holiness. And has born and has born and has patience for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. You haven't quit. You go you keep going. That's good. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you left your first love. Huh? Because they, they, they weren't having that fervent love for the Lord. 
where they were having an intimacy, where they were having that walk in the Lord, they'd, be, they'd begin to grow. What I'm saying is seeing is that they begin to grow stagnant. Matter or, 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 or um, West, somebody, you may, have, you may have something to expound on that, uh, but it says they left their first love. To, to you guys, what does it mean by him saying they left their first love? You, they kind of went dim. They kind of get a little, a little more faint into love, their passion for the Lord. Or what do you see there? says here before no matter what's up but let me say this the next verse says and he kind of explains somewhat of what their first love was he says remember therefore from where you've fallen and repent so there was something they, that they were doing that they needed to turn back around and be broken and and like we talked about where repentance was uh, and to do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove the candlestick. What's the, what was the candlestick? I will remove the spirit from you out of, out of its place except you repent. So something the Lord is very upset at because they, they needed repentance from something that they lost. Matt, did you want to expound on that, my brother? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with Wes. And I, I tend to look at it as there's kind of two dangers there. One is the person intentionally just says forget about it and they, they went the wrong way. The other way you can lose your first love is, and Wes and I actually talked about this one day, I, I've seen it happen with some people where they just keep taking closer and closer steps to that edge of the line of either temptation or just allowing the cares of the world to get them distracted, like Jesus said in uh, Matthew 13 with the parable of the soul. And it's so gradual that they don't even notice and then Satan just pushes them off a cliff uh, with, with their consent because they don't realize how far they've come from the narrow path. They've kind of like gotten to the edge of the path and looked over. Uh, there, there's some Hebrew words in, in Ezekiel 45 and other places that talk about people kind of doing some foolish things that can eventually lead to sin. And so I tend to look at it like that. These people, you know, start to wander to the point where maybe they lack study, they lack prayer, they lack fellowship to the point that they didn't even realize uh, how far they had gotten. Or, or God could have put his finger on some things in their life and they were, were, were quenching the spirit and not really paying attention to it. What about you guys? You had something, Terry? Yeah, uh, well, what I've seen possibly, uh, they became, you know, they stopped being around people that are evil. They stopped, you know, uh, like all these things, they, you know, stopped doing it and, and they maybe left the part of uh, love thy neighbor. Mm-hmm. So. Could have been some of that too, yes. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Amen. 
No, no. I need to drink coffee. Yeah, no, go, go ahead. All right. Um, anybody else have anything to add to that? Okay. So let's go further. But uh, verse 6 now. But this, this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Who knows who the Nicolaitans were? Cedric, you know that? Do you know who the Nicolaitans were? Anybody here? Know who the Nicolaitans they, they were, uh, Nicolaitans was basically, a, a, someone said Gnostics, yeah. Nicolaitans were Gnostics. They were against the people. They taught that it was okay to eat things sacrificed to idols, and they taught that it was okay to fornicate. They followed the ways, uh, as you define it, as the ways of Balaam to, to present a stumbling block to others. And we'll see that Nicolaitans mentioned more in, in some of the other churches as well. You know, um, so, so, but they hated the works of the Nicolaitans. They, they didn't want to be part of them to cause that, that type of stumbling block. Ben? I have a question. Um, I see it in my, in my Bible as in red. Is this Jesus speaking? I mean, right? Yeah, this is Jesus speaking to John and John writing it. Okay? Yeah. Okay, so, so it says, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying unto the churches. And you're going to find something like this at the end of all seven churches. It says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. Let me tell you something, brother. When you eat of the tree of life, you will never die. Remember what the Lord told when Adam and Eve had sinned, he took them out of the garden, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. One of the first things you're going to do when you go in, to heaven with the Lord is you're going to eat, as it's, uh, if you turn, to, uh, turn with me to Revelation chapter 22, the last, uh, the last chapter of the book of Revelation, the very end, he says in Revelation chapter 22, go there with me, and this is after the great white throne judgment, this is the, the end, and uh, people are, are coming into the into heaven, what a glorious day that will be! I can hardly wait. I'm homesick. I'm lonesome. I want to. I want to be at this part in Revelation chapter 22. We see how the story ends. It says, "And he showed me a pure river of water. It'll all be worth it, brethren. Clear as crystal, proceeding, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. There it is." of the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded a fruit every month and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nation. So we see here at the end there's the tree of life they, the nations are healed by it and once you eat it you're going to be young again Tookie, and, uh, and you're going to live forever. Praise the Lord. No more aging then. Praise God. But, he, but the thing I want to pay close attention to is he says to him that overcometh the contingency to obtain and be able to eat of the tree of life is are you an overcomer? An overcomer is someone what? That overcomes. He's not uh, falling. He's uh, walking in righteousness. He's walking without sin. Sin, if you, if you overcome by sin, the Bible says in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, of what a man has overcome, uh, the same is he in bondage to. Look, look at it, 2 Peter chapter 2. And verse 19. 
says, while they promised him liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. Listen to this closely. For whom, of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. So if you overcome by anything, you're in bondage to that, and you're not an overcomer. So if it's the least sin that you overcome by, or the least thing, temptation that you overcome by, and you don't take that way of escape like it talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, 10, 13, you don't take the way of escape. You are not an overcomer. Therefore, if you're not an overcomer, you're not going to have the right to eat of the tree of life, which is which that he that he will give them, and that's in the midst of the paradise of God. Somebody have something to say? Go ahead, Matt. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is, is uh, Matt, what you're saying too, it's not just mentioned in one place. It's mentioned in how many places did you say? Did you say? Uh, multiple. 13 times. 13 times. If overcoming wasn't something that was that important to have eternal life, then, and, and, then why would Jesus say it? And plus... If everybody in the world is saying, well, you know, we're living in a new dispensation. We're living under a different covenant. We're not under the law and we don't have to overcome. Why in the world is Jesus saying to overcome 13 times in order to enter, enter the kingdom when they don't believe you need to overcome at all? That's how backwards this thing has, has happened. And all seven churches, seven of the 13 times that he's talking about, are, in the, are at the end of every church of these seven churches we're going to read about. It says to him that overcomes. Will I give to eat of the hidden manna to overcome? And all these things were contingent on that. Musicians, would you come so we can place the place on there? Thank you, Lord. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point, Jill made. He says that she says that most people. It's not that they they don't even go as far as overcoming. They don't even believe you can overcome. They don't believe you can. Well, Jesus says to overcome, so amen, you can. Look, amen, sister.
He will keep me by His grace. He will keep me by His grace. As I look in His holy face, He will keep me by His grace.
dead. You're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Holy Lord, hallelujah, Jesus. What a mighty Savior. What a mighty God, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. My God. I love you, Lord. He gave us beauty for ashes the all of joy for morning the spirit of rain all the garment of heaviness that we might be trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified Oh, great. 